Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today, as always, we have an amazing guest on our show. He is a leadership and speaking coach, serial entrepreneur, and survived a serious and rare autoimmune disease. John Bates, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing? Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'm extremely excited about this interview because I like to geek out about leadership, entrepreneurship, and then, of course, science and everything behind it. So kind of give us an insight into what happened with this autoimmune disease, Stephen Johnson's disease that that happened with you. Well, you know, I'll start in that moment when I am sitting in I'm sitting on the bed in the room at UCSF and it is, you know, I don't know, late 2000, early 2001, I forget, but I'm sitting in this bed at UCSF and the doctors are lined up out the door. They've been coming from all over the Bay area to see the lesions in my mouth and in my eyelids, all my mucous membrane to see the dots that are on my skin. And because it's such a rare autoimmune disease that the doctors have called everybody to come see it. And they all look at me with interest, but the doctors that are actually tasked with keeping me alive, look at me with that look of like, I don't know if you're going to make it. And that is a really really scary look, you know, they, they, so I'm sitting there, not sure that I'm going to make it. These dots on my skin are getting worse. I've already have huge pieces of my uh, mucous membrane sloughing off and it's called Stevens Johnson syndrome. You know, when they call it a syndrome, I'm pretty sure that's, that just means we don't know like, you know, Stevens Johnson, we don't know, (laughs) you know, (laughs) And, and, uh, and so, you know, back up to how I got there was that I had started a company with three other guys. They asked me to join as the fourth co-founder of a company called bigwords.com. And okay. we were crushing it in the dot-com days. We actually did a lot of things right, but along comes the change in the market and our yeah. investors, after we had raised over $80 million dollars, our investors told us they didn't think that we were going to be profitable fast enough and they were going to pull the plug. And so, yeah, overnight, you know, pretty high stakes stuff there. (laughs) And I was certainly, you know, this was the biggest thing I had ever been involved in by leaps and bounds. And so, you know, I went from being a co-founder at a, company that Wired was writing about that everybody was all excited about to, you know, crying in the bar across the street after we'd all been escorted out of the building because they're shutting it down. And, you know, this was, this was October 20th of 2000. And so all of a sudden our email stopped working. We didn't have a backup Gmail account at that point. Like we didn't have, you know, like our cell phone stopped working. So like all of a sudden I lost touch with everybody. I couldn't tell anybody what was going on. I couldn't thank the employees and apologize like none of that. And, um, yeah. So this just like happens suddenly in a massive crash and stress. 
Yeah. So, and I, and the other big deal is that I had not been sleeping. I'd been sleeping maybe four or five hours a night, you know, and Mm -hmm. pulling all nighters and stuff like that and just traveling all the time and super stressed. So it's a combination of not sleeping and stress that I think did it to me. Okay. But all of a sudden there I am in that bed at UCSF, not sure if I'm going to make it. And, uh, wow, that was, that was a big moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like with Steven Johnson syndrome, from what I understand is that it could be triggered from multiple things that basically from medications to the stress levels and a virus, a bacteria, virus, like a, yes. like an environmental factor, like right. Who and knows? Combinations right? of all of the above, and why this is yeah. such a good and unique uh, kind of example for people is that whether we're talking entrepreneurship, leadership, or science and biology, is it's a complex interactive web of systems. Mm-hmm. And this just gives us a great example of systems thinking. If we were to look at it um, from kind of that geeky science point is that the immune system has multiple functions and multiple things influence it. And then if we kind of get myopic and only look at one kind of symptom of things, then the whole system falls apart or has this, this, ability to just crash like yours did. And yeah. this goes for far more than just uh, the horrific ordeal you went through with stress is that a lot of people are, are killing themselves with trying to launch businesses and, and everything. Um, and they don't even that? realize and it. Yeah. It's like, know. it's like slow motion suicide. Like if you're winning the game, how much sleep did you get last night? Oh, you got six hours. I only got five. And you think that you won because you got five. I have news for you. You're killing yourself slowly, right? Like that is a bad game to play and it's a terrible game to win. Definitely. Yeah. So how do people go about things differently so that they don't end up crashing their system? Well, so it's a great question. And it was one of the big realizations, you know, fundamentally in that moment when I didn't know whether I was going to make it out of there or not, I looked back over my life like people do. Mm -hmm. And I saw that it had been on a lot of levels, really small and really selfish. And I did not small. You were dealing with $80 million investments. How was this small? So I, I acknowledge that. And that's, that's, mm-hmm. thank you. That's true. It was, I mean, you know, yeah, that's not a small sum. And what I mean is like my life had been very, I mean, small because all I had really thought about or seen or been really present to was myself. And oh, it's not okay. like I was a bad guy. I was a nice guy. I loved people and stuff, but man, it was really all about me. Mm-hmm. And that just made my life small. And the other thing I realized is that my context for my life at that point was opportunity only knocks once, you know, Uh, you better, this better work, you know? And when I failed inside the cop, inside the context of opportunity only knocks once what's left to do, you know, that just crushed me. And so I didn't want to die. 
and I, and I talked to the universe. I call it the big is. And I said, look, if you let me live, I promise that my number one focus from now on, the number one thing above all else that I will focus on is making a difference. And that absolutely changed my life because I kept that promise, right? People make these deathbed promises and then don't keep them. I kept that promise and I stayed really focused on it, even when it was hard. And that made my life much more fulfilling and it gave me a new context, which is really important, I think, because in the context of opportunity only knocks once, like failure stopped me. And Right. I can imagine that even success might've stopped me in that context, but in the context of, I am here to make a difference period, nothing is going to stop me because I'll just keep doing whatever I can do to make a difference. So that was a big mental shift for me that really freed a lot up. Right. Yeah. And I also realized that like, when you sit on your deathbed, you don't say, I wish I would have gone to work more often. You say, <laughs> oh, no. "Where? oh my God, I've been ignoring my family. Oh my God, I, like, I haven't seen my brother in a year. I haven't seen my sister in a year. I, you know, I haven't called my friends. You know? And that was a really big wake-up call. And I actually promised myself that I would never again destroy my own life for success or my idea of success or that thing that I was building, you know? Right. Now you're sharing a lot of your wisdom and knowledge uh, with other people and you, you help people with public speaking and uh, you, you had a, had another opportunity <clears throat> only comes once opportunity um, that turned into multiple ones with, with your Ted talk. And uh, so just kind of uh, give us an insight into what you're doing with speaking and what happened with that, that first Ted talk you gave. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's the Ted talk you mean. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I was always the guy with the soft skills, worked with a lot of people with the hard skills, was jealous of them. Didn't feel appreciated by them was always the chief evangelist for my various companies. As I said, I raised hundreds of millions of dollars in Silicon Valley and beyond with my various teams, but right. I never felt like what I did was valuable. And oh. they, the hard skills people called what I did fluffy. So I just went around oh. with a chip on my shoulder and it sucked. And then in 2009, I went to the TED conference for the first time. And I just saw person after person stand up and give the most amazing talks I'd ever seen. And I had two big realizations. One is that's really powerful. Public speaking when it's that good is tremendously powerful. And I had not been doing that. <laughs> so, I, so I came back and I got really involved in the TED and TEDx community. And at one of the first ever TEDx events, not the first, but one of them at TEDx Santa Monica, my friends were running it. I was volunteering all volunteer effort. We had this guy who had all the hard skills in the world. He had the most exciting topic. He was the one I was waiting to see. And when he got up on stage and started to speak, everybody checked out because he was so nervous and awkward that we all thought we were going to throw up. Oh. And it was just sad. And I was so sad because I knew so many people like that, that I had worked with and were, and did work with who had 
brilliant things to offer in education and all that, but just couldn't communicate it. So I was very sad. And then the evil part of me popped up and I was like, ah, oh, ha, 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 hard skills, guys blowing it, calls what I do, fluffy, neener, neener, you know? <laughs> and uh, as I was indulging the evil part of myself, my buddy came over and he said, dude, we got to do something to help people like this. And it was like the lights turned on, the clouds parted, lightning struck, the angels sang. And I realized that if I just got over myself, I could totally make a difference for that guy. If I stopped honoring the chip on my shoulder and got rid of that and just honored the people right in front of me. And that's when right. I started working on what I now do. But I had a big kick in the butt not much longer after that when I got my first chance to speak at TED. Because- okay. I was so excited about speaking at TED and I was now starting to get clear on the difference between like TED talks and everything else and what made them special, but I wasn't there yet. And I blew my first time on the TED stage so bad that I think I still blush when I talk about it. I certainly get a sick feeling in my stomach. Right. And, uh, painful. <laughs> oh dude. And I, the worst part is I didn't even know how badly I had blown it till much later as I figured things out. And, and a couple of the things that I did really, really wrong, which are, I think good lessons. One mm -hmm. is I did it for myself. I tried okay. to use that experience and that opportunity to establish myself as a leading thinker. That's, that's not what TED Talks are about. TED Talks are about sharing that one idea we're spreading that means the most to you and get, doing that with just a full heart and soul and just giving it away and not doing it for yourself. It's doing it for the audience and sharing that thing you have that's the most valuable thing you can with the audience, not what I did. And then I also tried to cram way too much into a very short time, which is very tempting with TED Talks because they're so short. And instead of landing one or two points, because I tried to cram in a whole bunch, I landed none. Uh, and it was just, you know, people were like, wow, what did he just say? Like nothing landed. It was just so awful. And uh, and I actually wrote an article that's up at uh, Inc. Magazine. So if people want to find the article, it's John Bates, Ted Fail. <laughs> I'm the first result. Just boom, I'll come right up. <laughs> wow. Now, you've mentioned like two extremely big fears that, that people have. One is going to be death. And then <laughs> a lot of people think that public speaking is as bad as death. Yeah. And th these are like the two biggest fears out there. And you've had like near death experiences with both of these. So yeah, I never <laughs> thought of it that way. That's pretty funny. I've had my face shoved up in it. Yeah. <laughs> so just to put everything in perspective for everyone, okay, what would be worse, flopping on a TED stage in front of hundreds or having a rare life-threatening disease where your skin painfully blisters and melts off your face. <laughs> Dude, I mean, you know, I hope I never fail like that on the TED stage again. I think I think I won't because I've oh, that's well hopefully learned my lesson. <laughs> but out of those two, 
Stevens Johnson syndrome, I think I would rather fail on the TED stage than do that again. Um, it was one of the most painful things I've ever been through because it's all on the surface of the skin. So it's just nailing all those nerve receptors. And, um, and you know, like I just, I don't, I'm not ready to die. I think I got more stuff to do here, you know? And uh, yeah, I would say so. And your, your enthusiasm about everything is, is just amazing. And, uh, I really want to thank you for sharing both of those, those stories. Uh, I'm sure it's it's still uncomfortable to to speak about them, uh, but that kind of leads us into kind of the next next question is that you've had these huge devastating setbacks and uh, how do you bounce <laughs> yeah. back from that? <laughs> like what what takes over when the, when that happens? You know, I didn't bounce back actually very mm -hmm. fast. I did bounce back, but it wasn't fast. And I think I could shorten the time frame for anyone listening. When What a gift. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's so when I failed with big words, like I had publicly put my soul on the line with that company and I was not very sophisticated about failure and business and all that stuff. And I just went in a corner and cried and felt like a total freaking loser. And I actually think I tried to commit suicide with my own immune system. I think oh. that there was this covert subconscious. I hate myself so much for that failure that that's mm -hmm. what brought that on. And I would love before we go to share some of the coaching I got that I think probably save my life out of that. Yeah. But what I will say before that is um, at some point I was do what I was doing is I did a, uh, I did a, a personal growth and development course and it's actually, I highly recommend it. Like every, nothing on earth is perfect. And this is also not perfect, but it is right. just the big daddy, most powerful, most integrity, personal growth and development thing I've ever done. I did this thing called the Landmark Forum. And okay. at that seminar, I realized that, I, that up until that moment, I had been, I had it like I was a failure. And I realized at a certain point in that weekend, actually, I had a failure. Uh. I went from I am a failure to I have a failure. And it gives me goosebumps to my ankles as I even say it right now, because it was so profound for me. I had a failure. And the minute I got I had a failure, it didn't have me. Gotcha. And I remembered my glee teacher when I was in like fourth grade mm -hmm. in chorus telling us, okay, kids, here we go. We're going to do the performance. Now, if you sing the wrong note, just make sure you sing it loud. If you make okay. any mistakes, just please make them loud. And <laughs> like losing $80 million was pretty loud, you know? And I actually, for the first time ever, thought about that, got all that, and, and was able to smile and chuckle to myself for a moment. <laughs> and it just changed everything, you know? 
I have a failure. Yes. And then the other thing that I came across around that time was this unbelievable quote that I wish I could go back in time and tell myself before, but uh, I'll share it here because it's just so profound from a guy named Louis L'Amour who writes cowboy novels. You know, my dad loves Louis L'Amour. Um, <laughs> Dad and my brother. I got to read some. I probably would love them too. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. there's a quote and he says, there will come a time when you think everything is finished. Mm -hmm. That is the beginning. Woo. Wow. If I had gotten that, right? Ooh, I mm -hmm. think everything's finished. Oh, this is the beginning, right? Because I was so focused on the end of what had just ended that no doors appeared for me because I wasn't even open to them. I wasn't even looking or, or willing to be aware. Right. Right. Now, how do people kind of move past just that saying and embody it though? Like how, how do you get in that moment of, of failure where the, these doors don't open and you don't see that beginning? Uh, what's kind of the process there and how can people speed that up for themselves? Well, and I'm not even joking at all. One thing that I think speeds all that up is just freaking go ahead and freaking cry. Just get present to it and you're sad and you didn't want it to happen. It didn't go the way you wanted to and it hurts and it sucks. Go ahead and freaking cry. Like, you know, if you got to go do something, don't cry right now. Go do that. But the minute that you got a minute, freaking just go ahead and cry. It it resets everything, you know, hormonally right. and all that. And it's an acknowledgement. You know, I think one of the reasons people get so stuck is because they try to shove things down and they try to ignore things and they just try to mm -hmm. carry on without acknowledging what just happened and how much it hurt and how much they don't like it and all that. Okay. Acknowledge it. What you acknowledge disappears. What you resist persists, but acknowledgement boom, it disappears. So acknowledge it and let yourself fully acknowledge it and go ahead and cry. And then if you need to set a timer, right? Cry for an hour or a day or a week. But when the timer goes off, now we stop crying and we go look for what if Louis L'Amour is right? What if I think everything's finished, but it's actually the beginning? What could this be the beginning of? Okay. What would I like this to be the beginning of? You know, can I see any green shoots if I were to actually look, you know? What, what green shoots did you start to notice then? Boy, it's a really good question. I, uh, so I, so getting that I, I wasn't a failure, but that I had a failure took an enormous amount of pressure off of me because I was really beating myself up and really just, you know, holding myself down. So, you know, it's almost like, you know, looking down at, at my hands on my desk and then looking up and out <laughs> at the rest right. of the world, you know, like okay. that was one of the green shoots was just noticing there was even a world out there besides my anguish and pain, you know, right. and, um, and starting to think about, okay, what do I have that's valuable to people? 
How could I provide value to other human beings? And for a long time, I thought I had no value. Like I was, there was a while there where I was, you know, what am I going to do? Because I've been an entrepreneur and I've never really focused on anything because I always did whatever needed to be done in the moment. I ran customer service for a little while. I did a lot of marketing. I spoke at conferences. I, you know, like anything that I was the pinch hitter. Right. But I didn't have a deep skill in anything. So I just kind of thought, wow, I'm screwed. And then out of that quest for what do I have that would be of value to other people, I found what I do now, right? Tr helping wow. people with their communication and their leadership and their public speaking. Like, you know, my personal feeling is leadership is a function of communication. Great leadership is a function of great communication. So if we focus on what's missing in someone's communication as a leader, we are going to be focusing on something important that's missing in their leadership too, right? How do we right. bring all this together and, and have them take whole new levels? And so I started to see that. And then side note, all the people that I knew who would be the kind of people that would hire a you know public speaking coach or a leadership coach or something like that, they all told me, John, don't do that. That's bottom of the barrel stuff. Like you don't want to do that. That's a terrible idea. I'll never make any money, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so for a while I cried about it some more. And then I was just like, look, I don't have anything else to, that I think I have a value. I'm just going to do this anyway. And the first year I went further in debt. The second mm -hmm. year I kind of broke even. The third year I made more than I ever made in my life ever. And then I doubled that plus, and then I tripled that plus, and then yeah. I've been kind of bouncing around. So it's not like it happened fast, right. but one of the big things that got me out of that, the green shoots that I was looking for, once I got that I wasn't a failure, I just had a failure. The green shoots I was looking for were, what do I have that would be of value to someone else? Where could I make a difference for someone else, you know? Hmm. Yeah, and I, I'm just like, this is why you kind of embody such a great speaker is that uh, uh, you went straight into basically the communication for other people. But during this whole process, and this is what people really don't get about leadership, is it was the communication within yourself first. Mm. Uh, what do you think kind of Bingo. in that realm? Boy, that's, you just said an entire gold mine there. Before you can be clear with anyone else, you must be clear with yourself. Yeah. Right. And that is, you know, that's, that's a really worthwhile journey because nobody else is going to get clear about you. You're the one who needs no. to do that, you know, yeah. and it's a totally great journey because the clearer that you get, the clearer you can be with others, the more of a difference you can make, the better a leader you can be, all that stuff. And, um, and you know, and it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen in an instant. And it's not like I'm always clear in the moment about what's happening. But I think that there's this level of self-reflection that I think I also got out of like that moment of almost dying and realizing just a whole new realization about just life that made me be more self-aware and self-reflective. And 
then the other thing is that I have a job where on some level I get paid to be self-reflective and share what I discover, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, that helps too. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh. So what would you kind of give just backtracking here, kind of another little nugget for people that, uh, the experience sucks. Like getting that experience yeah. during that moment is oh. painful and it's a slow, slow process. Um, so kind of what guiding principles um, with that inner self-talk do you teach then? Okay, so there's a few things. One is, this is super simple. It's just clear. Comparison is a pitfall. Mm. Your life is your life. Their life is their life. You're, we're all in different places. We're all here for different reasons. We're all doing different things. And if you're constantly comparing yourself in a way that, you know, it's just a pitfall. Comparison is a pitfall. That's one. Um, the other thing is, uh, in terms of that self-talk, there's two big things. One is that that voice in our head that I think many of us, I used to think was me, right. that nasty voice, you know, like yes, when we're yeah. just like... <laughs> always narrating, talking about stuff, has opinions about everything. Okay. Really important. That voice is not you. You are the big silent presence that's listening to that voice. That voice is actually what the Buddhists call your monkey mind, or right. you could call it your crazy roommate. And one of those comes free in the box with every human, right? You get one, whether you want it or not, there it is. And you, when you realize that's not you, you now have a choice about what to do about what it says, right? And don't feel bad. You're not responsible for all that nasty stuff. That's your crazy roommate, right? And you can choose whether you're going to let that thing impact you or not. You don't have to listen to it, right? I think of it like my scared inner child that just doesn't want me to get noticed. It doesn't want me to take any risks. It doesn't trust anyone. It doesn't think I can do things. It doesn't think I'm competent. It doesn't think they're competent. I pat it on the head and I say, thanks. I know you're trying, but I got this, you know, <laughs> I got this. And so that's one thing is to get that monkey mind out of the driver's seat, put it in the back seat and belt it in, you know, and now right. put something that you're actually committed to in the front seat, put yourself, your best self, that big silent presence in the driver's seat versus the monkey. So that's one big thing. And realizing that that voice wasn't me was unbelievably freeing for me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then the second thing is this advice I got from one of my coaches named Candace Shivers Morgan, who, whom I was, uh, I was, volunteering with landmark education that did the forum. Cause I thought their okay. stuff was so good. I wanted to mm -hmm. help them get the word out and help them make it easier for people to do that. And my coach there was named Kansas Shivers, Shivers Morgan. And she was talking to me at this point in my life. And, and I was, you know, I had just almost died of the autoimmune disease. I still had a massive problem with it. I had to sleep 12 hours a night. I didn't want Whoa. anybody to know because no one's going to hire a guy in the tech industry who has to sleep 12 hours a night, right? Like, so it was just massive, awful time for me. And she picked up on this, you know, she's pretty, mm -hmm. pretty 
<laughs> you know, she, she's, she's very prescient and, uh, and it was probably pretty obvious too, but she said, okay, whoa, 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 John. Whoa. When you go down this tunnel of beating yourself up and thinking you're not good enough and thinking you're never going to be okay and no one's ever going to love you and you're never going to figure it out. All that stuff you're telling yourself, when you go down that tunnel, there is no light at the end of that tunnel. There's nothing worth going in there for at all. So right. the next time you notice you're going down that tunnel, I want you to promise me right now that you will back out, just back out. And I said, okay, Candace, I promise. Right. And then she said, here's good, the mark of a good coach. She said, here's what I want you to do instead. And I said, okay, what? She said, I want you to live in the listening of the people who love you. Because who you are is not who you think you are. Who you are is who they think you are because that's how you show up in the world. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I just sat at her desk and sobbed for a little while. And then I said, okay, you know, I'll take that on. And I started really living in the listening of the people around me that thought I was great, no matter what I thought you know, and I had a, another big realization that goes along with that, which is that I, I had been beating myself up and being really hard on myself while at the same time, I wanted to be a safe space for the people I loved in my life and the people that wow. I worked with and all that. Right? right. And I realized that I could never be a safe space for anyone else if I wasn't a safe space for me. So on the days when it was difficult, when I was really drawn into that beating myself up stuff and I was really a draw, if I couldn't not do it for me, I would do it for the people around me. I would be a safe space for me so that I could be a safe space for them. And I think that that whole thing and a lot of time spent meditating and forgiving myself and going back and, you know, forgiving the, the part of myself that that's angry and the part of myself that was, you know, feels like a failure and just loving myself. My autoimmune disease mitigated dramatically, you know, it wasn't super fast, but I, you know, I haven't been to the emergency room in a really long time. And I think it's a lot because I forgave myself. I stopped beating up on myself. I stopped mentally hurting myself. So my body got in line with that and stopped physically hurting me. Amazing. What else are you doing to basically keep your body and everything functional and not just functional, but at this high performance now, like you radiate energy. It doesn't <laughs> well, appear that, you. that you'd be sleeping 12 hours a day now. Um, yeah, what no, sort of things I, are you doing to help, help yourself? So one more? big thing I do is I am extremely committed to eight hours of sleep a night or maybe even a little bit more. And I just stopped trying to wring another life out of not sleeping, right? 
I got one life. I don't have one and a half if I don't sleep, right? Like I'm that's just not okay with me anymore. So I really, really am very focused on making sure that I am getting eight plus a little bit hours of sleep a night. And I stopped feeling guilty about that and started <laughs> feeling smart about that, you know? Yes. <laughs> right? And the the other thing that I do is um this li- I'll, I'll give a shout out to it. You, if you do a search for Johnson and Johnson seven minute workout, there's uh-huh. a little app that's actually really good. It's all like body weight stuff. I do it right over there on the carpet in my office and it's about 30 minutes. I know they call it the seven minute workout, but it's yeah, the seven but- minute workout like three times with a warm up and a cool down. And it's about 35 minutes or so. Okay. And I do that pretty much every day. And I, I can't, I think I need to take it to a new level. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to try to take my workouts to an hour a day and get a little more, um, weights in and stuff. But that, that 30 minutes a day on that body weight exercise thing for the last almost a year now, I, you know, it really, really helps. And I think that the, one of the big things I've learned maybe as I've gotten older and hopefully a little wiser is something's just way better than nothing. And if I'm holding out for that hour long workout and I'm not doing the half hour workout, that is not helpful. Better to do the Uh, 30 minute workout and, you know, yeah, yeah. Do something right. (laughs) Absolutely. Are there any other things you're doing then maybe diet or stress management wise as well? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I almost forget about this, but when we went into the pandemic, my wife had, you know, we had been eating better and better and better. We, you know, organic, then, you know, uh, grass fed, we we're looking for humane, you know, things like that. And she just got to a point where she had done more research than I did. And she was like, look, ethically for the world, for our health, we're going whole food plant-based. So at the beginning of the pandemic, we went whole food plant-based, which is essentially vegan without the judginess, you know, (laughs) Um, that's the way I joke about it. Um, So she's more of a vegan than I am, but, um, (laughs) but we're whole food plant-based and I lost 10 pounds and everybody else I knew gained 15, you know, at the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, The COVID-19 pounder. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and we've been eating like that since, and I do think that makes a big difference, you know? Definitely. Now you, you mentioned your wife there and you've mentioned communication skills. So anything kind of nugget wise for relationships and communication then as well. So that's a great question. Um, the first thing is because I'm a coach and my wife also, you know, has a little bit of a coaching background. We ask permission before we coach each other. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's now, good. Any times you're, you're okay with a no then when, when you ask permission then. <laughs> yeah. And if she says no, then I don't. And if she says okay. she's open to coaching, great. The other thing that I think makes an enormous difference is we both take 100% responsibility for our relationship. Uh And 
what that means is that if I'm kind of being a jerk, she doesn't call me a jerk. She looks for how can she be responsible and how can she take ownership of whatever she did that made me be a jerk? And maybe she didn't even do anything, right? Right. And the beautiful thing about that is that when I see her do that, it makes me want to do that. So I do. Uh, and when she sees me do that, she wants to do that, right? And now instead of having 50-50 coverage in our relationship, on a bad day, let's say somebody can only bring 49%, well now we don't now we're we're broken, right? But if right. we're both bringing 100% and one of us even drops off 10%, well we're still totally covered, right? right. And so to take a hundred percent responsibility to have two people in a relationship, both taking a hundred percent responsibility for that relationship is an exquisite way to live. Definitely. Now, how would you get to that point? So a lot of people think that, oh yeah, I, I can, I can do a hundred or maybe 90, but that uh, too is a process, is it not? Sure it is. And, and it definitely is. And it's tempting not to. And when they don't, you don't want to, or I don't want to. Right. But the thing that struck me the most about this is when Sharon does that, mm -hmm. I know she doesn't have to do that. You know, right. I know that. And then I watch her do it anyway. It is insanely inspiring to me Amazing. and it makes me immediately want to do it myself. And if you're just starting this out and the other person maybe isn't totally clear about this and maybe they haven't agreed to this, but you decided to do it anyway, mm -hmm. it might take a few times, right? Like you, they might not get it for a little while, but at a certain point they'll realize what you're doing and I just think 99.9% .9 of humans will be inspired by that and want to take it on themselves. Yeah. This is amazing, amazing stuff. So what projects are you working on now and how can people find more information about them? Well, thanks for asking. I, um, so, you know, one project that I'm working on pretty hard right now with a focus on it is LinkedIn. And okay. I, I post on a very regular basis there and I try to make that really quality information and useful and everything. Um, and I also have a, a, a mini training that I create for organizations like Johnson and Johnson and NASA and Accenture and things that I send out every week. And um, if people want access to that for free, I could, you know, you can get that if you follow me on LinkedIn, just look for my mini trainings and there's a way to sign up. Okay. And, um, Valuable. you know, wow. that's a great way because what I was doing that for is to help the people that I coach at all these organizations create a, a habit around it. Uh, yeah. And so every week I'll send out one or two very short two minute, you know, video with a little bit of suggestions writing. And if people just check that out once or twice a week, they keep their head in that space of leadership communication, 
while they're getting everything else that they've got to focus on done, this is just a little reminder to stay in that. And people, it makes a huge difference, especially people stick with it over time. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That's insanely valuable. And, uh, I've looked at a few of those myself and it is amazing. Great content. Uh, yeah, Thank definitely, you. definitely send a shout out about that. All right. Awesome. So they can find you on LinkedIn and so LinkedIn.com well. forward slash in forward slash John Bates. Okay. And then, uh, the easy website to remember is John Bates.com. And you can okay. probably, you know, you can find your way to whatever there as well. Definitely. So this is just being a little teaser, having John speak with us today and definitely check out his information. And tune in to the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Have a great day until next time. Bye.